Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I'm your International Society of Biomechanics student representative and a graduate student at Stanford University. Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm also a graduate student in bioengineering here at Stanford. We are really excited about the current advances in biomechanics and wanted to figure out a way to share these with other students also interested in biomechanics. So we decided to start BOOM, a biomechanics podcast through the International Society of Biomechanics. BOOM stands for Biomechanics on Our Minds and signifies the excitement we have for biomechanics. In the podcast, we're also going to share advice through stories of overcoming challenges and difficulties experienced as a means to build community and support for students. Our goal is to maintain honest and open conversation with other students and professionals in the field so together we can continue to make advancements in the field and improve lives. In every podcast, we'll start with a new, interesting finding in biomechanics. So now, our first ever bit of boom. From the May 2017 issue of Biology Letters, we learned from Chang and Ting how flamingos stand on one leg for so long. These researchers at the Georgia Institute of Technology discovered that flamingos don't require any muscle activity to achieve their unipedal position because their joints lock into place, actually allowing them to support their entire body weight completely passively. They are able to find that a specific group of muscles and ligaments that lock into place, also known as a stay apparatus in the proximal or near center part of the limb, help flamingos conduct their effortless balancing act. This is the first evidence of a passive, gravity-driven bodyweight support mechanism in a bird's proximal leg joints. But what we still don't know is why a bird, or anyone for that matter, would want to sleep this way. Yeah, that doesn't sound too comfortable. But you should get comfortable for our first ever BOOM interview with Dr. Brian Davis, who will share his experiences moving to a new country to start his PhD, and his advice on taking opportunities off the beaten path. Today we are talking with Professor Brian Davis at the University of Akron in Ohio. Professor Davis is a professor and the department chair of biomedical engineering here at the University of Akron and an ISB fellow. Thank you for talking with us today. You're welcome, Melissa. Will you first share a quick summary of your current research at the University of Akron? Sure. And just for those people listening to this podcast, I will say that I know Melissa back from the days when she used to be a student at the University of Akron. Um, so welcome back, Melissa. It's good to see you. <laughs> Thank you. It's back good to be o- back. <laughs> back in Ohio from, from California. In terms of my research, I'm one of those individuals who tries to solve whatever engineering problem comes my way. So I have quite a varied background in, in research. That being said, my current focus is on the interfaces between the human body and the surroundings. And what I mean by that, I'll give you two examples. One would be, in the case of patients with diabetes, they're at risk for skin breakdown at the interface between their foot and the ground or or their foot and the shoe. And in my opinion, this is an area that's been understudied in the past because most people have focused on pressure. And it's our belief that there's more to skin breaking down than simply pressure. So one of the things we study here is the interaction between numerous frictional forces as well as pressure at the interface between the skin on the ground or the skin on the shoe. 
<clears throat> and the other example of, of an interface that we're interested in is the interface between a, uh, an amputee patient's uh, residual limb, so it could be, for instance, the thigh, and how the thigh muscles and skin interact with the prosthetic leg. And in particular, in that situation, uh, we're more interested in the thermal interface and, and how you could potentially come up with methods for um, for removing excess heat from the interface and thereby diminishing the amount of sweating that occurs at that interface. Okay, and what kind of devices do you use to measure the shear forces at these interfaces? So let me say that there's good news and bad news here. <laughs> On the good side is we have a technology that's in essence a, a polymeric surface with millions of particles in it that are displaced when your foot makes contact with the polymer. And so we, on a millimeter by millimeter basis, we can look at the frictional forces and the pressure basically by monitoring the, move, the movement of the particles within the polymer. And we do that optically. So that's the good news. The, the bad news is that this device is not suitable for being placed inside a person's shoe. And that's really the holy grail of trying to understand why some patients with diabetes get ulcers. It's, it's really monitoring what's happening between the skin and the sock while they're wearing whatever shoe they're wearing, but we're not there yet. So the best we can do is monitor frictional forces and pressure on a surface that a person who's barefoot steps onto. But even so, that can tell us a number of, of uh, key issues related to how the foot is interacting with the ground. Okay, very cool. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your educational background? Okay, so I am 57 years old. I spent half my life in South Africa and half my life in, in the United States. So my, my middle and high school education was in, in Cape Town, South Africa. I went to a private Catholic boys' school. I'm still not sure why I'm not Catholic, but I, I ended up going to the school. And uh, then upon graduating from high school, went to the, the University of Cape Town to study mechanical engineering. After that, I switched to my master's area, which is biomedical engineering, and then worked for a couple of years in South Africa and then decided to do something entirely different and come to the States to do a PhD. And that area is exercise and sports science with a particular focus on biomechanics. So I guess you can say I have three degrees, mechanical engineering, biomedical engineering, and, and exercise and sports science. And how do you think that this experience helped you prepare for your research in the United States? Well, let me go back to my undergraduate degree. The main reason why I chose mechanical engineering is because my father said to me that he would, or my mother and my father would pay for one degree and one degree only, and I'd better choose something that would result in me getting a job one day. <laughs> At that time, I was the only member of my family to go to college, and I would choose something that would guarantee a job. And it turns out that I found mechanical engineering exceedingly difficult. And the thing I, the main thing I took away from it is what I, I remember one professor saying to us that their goal is to make us mentally tough so that years up after graduating, even if we couldn't remember how to solve differential equations or deal with complex numbers or whatever it may be, our approach would be that we can solve these kinds of problems just by hanging in there and, and not giving up. So that's the main thing I took away from my undergraduate degree. It's, it's really... It's like a never give in attitude to solving whatever problem you may face in the future. The other thing I took away from my, my education is the idea that things need to be practical. Whatever problem you may be facing on the research side or the engineering side, you need to look at the answers you're getting, ask yourself, do they make sense? And are they practical and will they make a difference to other people's lives? Or in the case of patients, will it improve our understanding of what's causing their problems. And that even translated when I one day arrived at Penn State University and 
to my surprise for a student coming from South Africa, they ended up working on a device of relevance to NASA and you know, looking and thinking, how can I create a zero gravity simulator in a lab on Earth that would replicate the effects of being weightless? And my guiding principle was, how can we make something that's practical? The other approaches involved either flying on an aircraft that would simulate weightlessness or submerging people underwater to try and imitate weightlessness. But I wanted to do, I wanted something that was practical and easy to do. Right. Yeah, that's really good. I think um, practicality and perseverance are two really important lessons. Are those things you try to instill in your students now? Yes. Remember that patients are waiting. So you may be thinking that I have a year or two or three years to solve a problem, but you have to remind yourself that as long as it takes you to solve a problem, there are people in hospitals and at home waiting for you to solve these problems. So there is a degree of urgency and whatever solutions you come up with have to be practical. They can't be something that's going to fail the first time you try it out. Yeah, that's a really important reminder. And do you find it or did you find it challenging to pursue your PhD and continue your academic career in a completely new place and culture? Yeah, actually, this is only something that um, is readily understandable to people who have moved from one country to the other. But it is, it is slightly disconcerting when you arrive in a country and you know that no matter where you go, what grocery store you go to, uh, if you go to church, wherever you may be, you, there's zero chance that you'll recognize anybody in your environment. So it's a, you know, there's a sense of initial loneliness when you just know that every single person you meet is a stranger. For my wife and myself, the, the, the greatest challenge initially was our Welcome to America gift, which was for both of us, Yes, chickenpox. And, you know, we didn't even know who our neighbors were, but we had to put notes on their doors, asking them to go to the grocery store for us to, to buy food and drinks so that we could survive <laughs> during the time that it took us to recover from chickenpox. So those were the, some of the initial challenges. On the positive side, the lab I went to at Penn State University is, is an, uh, well, it was and still is known for its biomechanical excellence. And so... In that respect, I was like a kid in a candy store that I was in a lab that was known for its research capabilities. And everywhere I looked, I saw excellence around me. My fellow grad students were outstanding. They were always willing to help me. Certainly my professors and the faculty were leaders in their field. And so whilst on the one hand, you may be lonely coming to a new country, counteracting that is the fact that you've got people who are were just so willing to help and knew so much about the field of biomechanics that I, I felt that I'd landed in the perfect place. Yeah, I can imagine a sense of community um, would be really important, um, yeah. starting somewhere new. Um, so you have a very unique educational and personal background, um, and you've also described your experiences in biomechanics as far from the beaten track. Could you talk about some of these experiences? One is that one of my pet peeves is seeing the same thing done over and over and over again. Um, and then, uh, you know, maybe later on we'll get to talk about uh, outreach to middle and high school students. But when I go to science fairs and I see students presenting the same thing year after year, it, 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 to me it's, it's, it's a pity because it's wasting their time. And so for me on the research side, I, I have tried to stray off the beaten path because I, I've tried to tackle things that are different to what everybody else is doing. And, a couple of examples come to mind, one being this, this whole idea of creating a zero-gravity locomotion simulator 
which entailed putting a treadmill on a, on a wall and having people run whilst they're looking up at the ceiling. Did you try this treadmill <laughs> yourself? <laughs> I did try it. And actually, I think the very first person I tried was my, was my one-year-old son. Who that, you know, I was a grad student and my wife and I had a kid and I needed to put him somewhere while I was doing some work. And so we, we suspended him from the ceiling too. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just, it was unusual to walk into a lab and seeing a person running whilst um, facing the ceiling and, and the treadmill being on the wall. So that's one example of doing something a little different. Um, other, other topics that I've tackled have involved um, looking at how bones in the human body respond to impact forces. And the only way you can really do that is by putting pins in your own bones. In, in my case, it was my, my heel bone or my calcaneus. So we had a few uh, subjects who volunteered for that. Once again, it's not the kind of thing that you would typically find, but it was done when I was at the Cleveland Clinic and we had an orthopedic surgeon who was skilled at doing that kind of uh, work and he had no issues putting pins into our, our calcaneal bone. So, you know, we got some unique data there. And then as we, got, as we developed a greater and greater understanding of, of impact forces and how they affect the bones of the human body, we then started developing exercise equipment that we thought might be relevant for NASA's missions in, in microgravity. And that involved testing these things in true weightlessness, not, not simulated weightlessness. And so I had a number of, of opportunities to fly on what's known as the KC-135, or more affectionately, the, the Vomit Comet. <laughs> <laughs> and I know why it's called the Vomit Comet. <laughs> it's true to name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it's, you know, that to me, it was, it was a, fun, a fun activity. And at the time, we knew we were collecting data, once again, that other people had not collected. So this was not a cookie-cutter kind of experience. So, yeah. And, you know, and even now, when I'm looking at um, diabetic foot ulceration, the fact that we are measuring both frictional and, as well as pressure distributions under the foot is also straying somewhat off the beaten path because there aren't any other places really doing that. And that's fun for our undergrad students. In fact, Melissa, you were one of those students who got a peer-reviewed yeah. publication from that kind of research. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed my experience with that research. How do you think that the spread of different research has shaped your career? <laughs> that, that's an interesting question. I, let me go back to the time when I finished up my PhD and I, I was offered a professional staff appointment at the Cleveland Clinic. To be honest, I was very green at the time. I did not realize what a professional appointment at the Cleveland Clinic entailed. But I arrived there and shortly after arriving, I met with the chief of staff and he made it very clear to me that if I wanted a job in a year's time, I would have to get research funding. And then it dawned on me that everybody at that institution had one-year contracts and that if they didn't like what you were doing after one year, they would likely ask you to leave and you'd have to find another job. So it became, it became extremely important for me to get funding and I didn't really know how to do that other than to, I guess you can say, buy as many lottery tickets as possible. And so I wrote proposals that, were, that related to NASA, to diabetic foot problems, to uh, calcaneal fractures, Face, that's an issue facing paratroopers to kids with cerebral palsy. I mean, really, I was all over the place. And my, my idea was that whatever got funding would be the area that I would stick with. And, you know, I had one rejection after the other. But then finally, towards the end of my first year at the Cleveland Clinic, I was lucky enough to get four, four different grants funded wow. in, in four different areas. And, you know, so on, on the positive side, you know, I had some success getting funding. On the negative side... 
there was always this impression that I was doing research in too many different areas. But, you know, to me, it just goes back to me being an engineer and liking, you know, liking the idea that I'm solving problems, no matter what they are. So if, if they're problems related to how a child with cerebral palsy activates his or her muscles, or how a paratrooper can activate muscles in a way that would diminish the chances of fracturing a bone in their foot, to me, all of these are examples of applying engineering theories or knowledge to solving a real problem facing a variety of people. So, yeah, yes. I really value that it, it seems like there's very direct applications from uh, that research to helping people. Um, and it seems like it's very motivating to pursue those questions. Actually, can I add something to this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mentioned um, outreach to middle and high school students, and that's something that I, I'm really passionate about. And, and the reason why I think it relates to research is because when you are standing in front of a group of 12-year-old students and, and they say, you know, Dr. Davis, can you tell me what you're doing? You have to be able to answer in a way that they can understand what you're doing and why it's important <clears throat> and what the step, steps ahead are. Because if you can't convince a 12-year-old that what you're doing is meaningful, then perhaps what you're doing is not meaningful. So I am a huge proponent of, of speaking to school students and I really like this whole initiative that the American Society of Biomechanics has come up with, which is the National Biomechanics Day. Melissa, I know you're doing this at Stanford as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But to me, you know, getting kids excited about biomechanics, whether it be sport biomechanics, how you design a basketball shoe, how you design uh, athletic clothing to optimize performance, how you can minimize injuries, understand why, you know, Females tend to have higher tears of the anterior cruciate ligament. Why do males tend to tear their Achilles tendon more? All of these issues are biomechanical problems. And I think getting the next generation engaged in those kinds of problems is really exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. And um, I think this year is National Biomechanics Day is going international, which is always something extra uh, exciting to look forward to. Would you encourage students then to take the road less traveled as you did and search for opportunities in biomechanics that are not typically considered classical biomechanics? Yeah, I don't think there's a cookie-cutter approach to this. Everybody has, has different ideas about what they want to do with their careers. For me, it was trying to find practical solutions to problems. Um, and uh, and you, you mentioned this, the fact that National Biomechanics Day is now international. And that is something that pleases me greatly. Um, there was a time when I was the president of the International Society of Biomechanics. This is going way back to 2005. And, at the t and we just had a conference on biomechanics in Cleveland. And, and in looking at the people who attended that conference, I think there was one person from Africa. Wow. And that, that saddened me. And so I thought to myself, you know, if I, if I really want biomechanics to be practical, to solve problems, why would we be excluding Africa, because Africa has significant issues with, with biomechanics and science in general. So, you know, one of the issues, I'm, one of the initiatives I was really proud of was the, the, the partnership we created with the Tanzanian uh, Training Center for Orthopedic Technologies, also known as TATCUT. And it just, to me, it's really important for biomechanics to be inclusive and to, to embrace everybody, regardless of what kind of biomechanical issues you're facing. 
So, for instance, in South Africa, in, in Tanzania, they clearly have problems with amputee patients, but they also have issues with clubfoot deformities, which may not be something that we see very frequently here in the States, but clubfoot deformities really are an orthopedic and biomechanical problem. And I think it behooves the international community to include those kinds of, of activities and research programs in everything that we do. So, you know, and now recently I've connected with a group in Ghana, which is a, a burn center, you know, and there's an example of a country in, in Africa, in this case Ghana, that treats patients with, with burns and would desperately like to, to utilize some of the technologies we're developing here in the United States, especially when it comes to dressings and, and how you can get these, these burns to heal faster. So while you may not think that's biomechanics, to me it is in a way biomechanics because it's it's once again looking at the interface between the human body and the surroundings, whether it's right. a band-aid or, or a dressing. So, you know, in terms of my advice to students, whether you want to follow the path less traveled, it really be, would be to find your own niche and to not do something something because it's been done before by somebody else, but rather to look at what others have done, figure out what your that, how you can contribute to that or modify it or add to it, pursue that, that line of reasoning and, and take it and make it your own. Yeah, that's really great advice. Do you have other pieces of career advice for students in biomechanics that you would like to share? So, you know, in terms of, well, okay, so let me start with, with, with undergraduates. I think it's really important to choose a degree that's going to get you a job one day. That's So choose something that you know, go ahead, look online and see how many jobs are being offered in a particular field and then say to yourself, that may be where I'll start as an undergraduate. If you want to go to graduate school, my advice is to choose a lab where you have excellent faculty and excellent students surrounding you because that's that's going to inspire you and, and push you further than you could possibly have been pushed before. So... Definitely look look for excellent programs that have a that have a strong publication record or a, or a, f- a funding record. Um, the other thing is that in terms of the excitement looking looking ahead, uh, two areas that I'll mention just briefly. One would be in remote monitoring of patients or humans. To me, this is a huge area that's untapped at the moment. But if we can, for instance, monitor a patient who's had a knee replacement post surgery and recognize well ahead of time that this person is not rehabilitating as fast as they should be and we can intervene at that stage, that to me would be a big deal. So how we monitor these patients is still as yet unknown, but I think the degree to which we can track their activity and know if they're going up and down stairs or walking on inclines or how much they're walking each day, I think all of that would be really, really useful. And then related to that is this whole area of data sciences. we We hear all the time about big data but I think we're just scratching the surface. And, and this is a huge opportunity for biomechanics because if we can track people every minute of every day in what they're doing and, and figure out ahead of time that they're heading towards some kind of orthopedic or other problem, I think it'll be great for us to intervene early on. Right, to kind of take more of a preventative Exactly, approach. yes. Yeah, that's very uh, great advice and really exciting things to look forward to in the future of the field. Uh, thank you for talking with us. I know I've always found your advice very valuable, so I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with other students. You're welcome, Melissa, and all the best at Stanford. Thank you. That was a really awesome interview with Dr. Davis, but I bet you're still wondering about those flamingos. Turns out that there are several hypotheses as to why flamingos may want to chill out on one leg. First is a muscle fatigue hypothesis. 
that standing on one leg and then alternating with the other is actually less tiring than standing on two legs. So this reduces muscle fatigue by giving one leg a rest while the other supports the body. The other hypothesis concerns body heat. Flamingos spend a lot of time standing in cool water and they can lose precious body heat through their legs. So if they have only one leg in the water, then they can cut their losses in half and then they have no chill. Similarly to flamingos having no chill, we have no chill when it comes to biomechanics. Luckily for us, the third annual National Biomechanics Day will be on April 11, 2018. National Biomechanics Day is an opportunity to celebrate biomechanics in its many forms for high school students and teachers with the theme Science Meets Fun on National Biomechanics Day. Our next interview is with Dr. Paul DeVita, past president of the American Society of Biomechanics and founder of National Biomechanics Day. Bitter boom. Thank you for talking with us, Paul. Yes. National Biomechanics Day is an idea that I had in conjunction with other people about four or so years ago. And the real idea was that while biomechanics is so fantastic, and we all think it is so fantastic, those those individuals that are not in biomechanics kind of don't really know what it is. So you say to a person, I do biomechanics. And they say, wow, that's great. Uh, what is that? So this is really some the background philosophy with me is that I want biomechanics to be a more potent and important and influential science in our society. So I thought that the reason why so many people don't know about it is because there is no biomechanics in high schools, basically, in the United States, as I was thinking then. And so the underlying mission of National Biomechanics Day was to introduce biomechanics to high school students and teachers so that we would eventually be able to incorporate biomechanics courses into high school curricula around the country. And the idea that I always express it is, or how I express it is, the student will select his or her schedule the next semester and say, you know, I think next semester I will take English and history and biomechanics and math and geology. And biomechanics is in the middle of that list because it will be just like any other course for high school students. It will be a normal part of the curricula. That's my original idea. And we, Jill McNitt, Gray, uh, Brian Tracy, uh, Brian Davis and others, Julie Steele, we gave a couple of uh, educational seminars at ISB and ASB several years ago, and this started the ball rolling, and at the ASB seminar, I used the phrase National Biomechanics Day, I thought of it at that time, and thus that was the beginning of our attempt to show high school students and teachers biomechanics. Yeah, that's great. And what has National Biomechanics Day looked like for the past couple of years? Uh, so the first year was 2016. We started in October 2015 recruiting biomechanists around the United States. And with National Biomechanics Day, I was thinking U.S. And I was also president of the American Society of Biomechanics at the time, so I was thinking United States. Um, we sent out letters in October asking people to join, describing what National Biomechanics Day was. We got about 50 or so labs around the United States participating. And, of course, the, the basic premise is that 
Each lab would invite a group of high school students and teachers into the lab and show them biomechanics. And it's pretty loose, so different labs will show different biomechanics, will show biomechanics in different ways, as long as the high school kids are in there understanding and learning about this area, most of whom did not know what it was. And so uh, in the first year, I remember the... National Biomechanics Day itself, April 7, 2016, the very beginning in that morning, I started to see on Instagram that it was happening, that students were coming into biomechanics labs. And I was really kind of stunned, and I was so surprised and so happy. And on that day, and on days around that day, we had 2,000 more than 2,000, 2,000 plus high school students in biomechanics labs across the United States. Oh, just on your first National Biomechanics Day. The first one, I was so thrilled. I, I couldn't believe it. It was a great day, I thought, with all the biomechanists participating, with all the high school students. And I thought, this, is, this was a great success. And that's what everyone thought. And it became apparent that everyone just loved doing it. And the way I think about it is, Many people give great biomechanics lab demonstrations to local groups, and they're great. But what made National Biomechanics Day just a step better, let's say, is that we were all doing it together, we were all tied together, we all knew we were doing it together, so it was this collaborative, synchronized celebration of biomechanics across the country. And that made it really cool, and people were happy about that. And what really synchronized us up was that we're all on Instagram or most places took photographs, put them on Instagram, and everyone can see during their events, wow, look what they're doing in Nebraska on National Biomechanics Day. Wow, look what they're doing in Florida on National Biomechanics Day. So that was the thing that, the mechanism that tied us together to make it feel like it was in fact this national event. So that was, as I call it, the early year. And then the latter year was this year, 2017, and after we did it in, in the early year, uh, several people around the world said, hey, we want to do this too. And one of the great leaders in the international development is Sarah Schultz from Massey University in New Zealand. And she put tons of energy into creating a New Zealand National Biomechanics Day for 2017, but many people in many countries, including Philippe Carpus in Brazil and others, created National Biomechanics Day in their own countries this year, and so in 2017, in April, we had over 7,000 students in, in biomechanics labs on or about that date, the target date, celebrating National Biomechanics Day, and that was really kind of incredible. So now I say that we've had over 9,000 students in biomechanics labs. Wow, that's amazing. Seems like it. <laughs> Looking forward, how can students get involved in National Biomechanics Day? Right, the high school students, yes. Mostly our recruitment efforts center on biomechanists themselves. And so we are recruiting lab directors, biomechanics faculty, grad students, lab personnel to volunteer to participate in National Biomechanics Day, or let's say NBD. And they then, in whatever way they do, and probably if there's thousand places that do it this year, there'll be a thousand mechanisms by which they recruit their high school groups. So that's kind of up to them, whatever works for them to attract the high school students, to bring them in. Uh, I'll tell you what I've done here. 
I know some of the high school teachers. So I called them up. I said, would you like to bring a group in for National Biomechanics Day? They said, yes. And they said, don't worry, we'll do it all. So we got very lucky, I'll say. It was so easy in our county to bring these high school kids in. And it seems that way. I've hardly heard any kind of difficulty or, or problems in bringing student groups in. So it seems most people are able to do this. Yeah, I know we enjoyed bringing students in to campus here at Stanford. There's also a lot of other ways that I heard from students that they're getting involved, such as going to high schools and giving talks. Or I know Felipe said in Brazil, they even went kind of out on the street with signs and demonstrations and kind of were giving uh, public demonstrations of biomechanics, which was really cool. Yeah, we have a dance scientist, Teal Dark, involved here at ECU, and she's been involved with um, NVD the whole time. And this past year, she had her group outside with a sort of force plate. I'm not exactly sure what it's measuring, but uh, it's a one-dimensional force plate. And she took it outside and demonstrated biomechanics with her dancers to all the people that were walking around. And it was a lot of fun. People were enjoying it. And uh, so similar to what you're saying. Yeah, that is really fun. Uh, Well, that's really great. Is there um, anything else you'd like to say about National Biomechanics Day? Quite a bit. (laughs) I have written a lot about it, and I put this out in in different places, and I try to distribute this information to various societies like American Society of Biomechanics, International Society. We have uh, other societies that sponsor us, ACSM, ORSI, and others. I try to distribute information, and one of the things that I have distributed is my belief that, and the phrase is seen in a lot of MVD sites, that biomechanics will be the breakthrough science in the 21st century. So personally, this idea appeals to me. I like this, but I also think it's very possible that it will be true. And by this, I mean that in 20 years or 30 years, biomechanics will be such an integral integral part of our daily lives in some way, our societal efforts and ambitions, For example, everyone on the street will know what biomechanics is. Biomechanics will be used so much in considering, should I buy this car? Well, you know, the seat does not feel correct for me. I think I need to try another car. And it will be much more commonly understood among the layperson, let's say, and thus it will be a bigger and more important area in our society. So... I've written about this, and I have some reasons for this. Um, one of the reasons is that biomechanics today, while still not really known by most people, is on the edge of being known. Many young people know about 3D motion capture from video games, of course, and 3D motion capture from movies. So it's under the surface, but they sort of know what this is. There are now shows like ESPN Sports Science that is biomechanics, in a sort of fun mechanism, a fun avenue, or however they deliver it, and people see this, and they start to say, yeah, this is sort of biomechanical analysis of movement. So this is bringing it to the surface. So it can help so many people. It can help people with disabilities. It can help healthy individuals. It can help in terms of improving performance, improving our quality of life. There's so many positive outtakes from it. So for that reason, and for these others, It's on the cusp of exploding into our society, and I think what we are doing with National Biomechanics Day is trying to push it, let it 
rain down upon the population and uh, the people and become a much more important component to our society. Yeah, I think that's that's really great and really exciting. Really looking forward to seeing how National Biomechanics Day grows in the future and its message to increase the awareness of biomechanics and kind of highlight the importance in our day-to-day lives. So thank you so much for heading this up and really excited for the future of it. It's been very exciting for us, and I will say that I'm so thankful for all the volunteers who have participated in NBD, and as far as I can tell, everyone just loves it so much because we're all doing it together. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Melissa. As mentioned in the interview with Brian Davis, National Biomechanics Day is going to be international this year for a worldwide celebration. For additional information on NBD, you can go to the website at nationalbiomechanicsday.asbweb.org. Registration for all participants from the biomechanists and labs hosting the event to the students and teachers will be through the website as well. Looking forward to celebrating around the world. That wraps up our first Boom podcast. If you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about or have an interesting fact or piece of advice you'd like to share, you can send us an email at isb.studentrepresentative at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and have your input for future biomechanics podcasts. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow ISB on Facebook and Twitter to get more biomechanics in your life. Boom! Bit of boom. 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 Bit of boom.